Welcome back to Psych Your Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. And let's get some the elephant in the room out of the way. So I have been absent for a little minute. Um, so as many of you know, I work as a social worker. I do something called housing stabilization at a family shelter. And uh, what that means is that I help the families in the shelter find housing. Um, I refer them sometimes to special programs that are only open for people who are homeless. Um, I then process a grant that helps them get in the door. And then um, once they're in housing or once they have an apartment, I do in-home case management. Now, uh, that was much more involved, obviously, with COVID. There was much more to do. I've mentioned before, I did a lot of food pantry runs. I did a lot of with diaper and formula shortages. I had to drive all over the state to try and find diapers and formula. And uh, what many of you may not know is that right before COVID happened, the other um, housing stabilization person quit. So it had only been me the whole time. So when normally I would have 13 to 16 clients with half being in the shelter and half being outside the shelter, um, during COVID, I was running about 23 to 26 clients. So it was really overwhelming. Um, and I did have some incredibly difficult cases and it wasn't just due to COVID. They had some pretty difficult issues to deal with. Um, um, on top of that, I had repeated exposures due to people refusing to wear masks or follow protocols. Um, given the nature of what I do, obviously it's a congregate setting. There's going to be exposures. That's not anything that can be avoided. But um, this was a situation where we're doing everything we can. We're keeping you know the families apart. We're putting up plexiglass in the dining room. You know, we're shutting down a lot of the activities that we normally engage in um, and just refusing to wear masks in the hallways and limiting the amount that you go out, little things like that. Like we had many people who just refused to do that. So I kept getting exposed and it just took a toll. You know, there's a level of frustration that just keeps happening. Uh, Christmas is also our busy time. Um, at Thanksgiving, I delivered uh, turkeys to all of my families on the outside. I arranged for the first time to work with another organization so we could procure all gifts and things for our families on the outside. Um, I also worked with the two local fire departments so that at Christmas we could deliver a Christmas dinner to our families on fire trucks. And um, obviously the kids really love that. Some of the kids actually came out in Paw Patrol, you know, clothes, pajamas with little fire hats on. They really appreciated it. But it's a lot of work and, and it was a lot going on. And uh, during all this around Thanksgiving, a family member passed away. It wasn't due to COVID, but it was because in that area, they had um, a lot of COVID cases, so many that... Uh, she could not get a bed due to a normal health complication. She couldn't get a bed. And by the time she did get a bed in the hospital, she was in renal failure. So uh, that hit me harder than I thought it would. And I was just really overwhelmed coming out of the holidays. And I just really needed to 
take some self-care. It's, it's a buzzword that's used a lot in social services, but um, you're not really always able to do it. And I just really need to take some time for myself so I could kind of recover. Um, and uh, recently we were able to get a new staff member, Ada. I know she's listening, Ada. Um, it makes a huge difference. It took a lot of weight off my shoulders and made things so much easier to deal with. Um, and so in that time where I was just kind of stepping back and, and getting um, myself together, um, the thing I kind of had to let go of so that I could take some time for me and to take care of myself was unfortunately the podcast. And I wanted to be able to do this well. Um, and so I, I stepped back for a moment, but I'm back now. And um, I'm also relaunching the Patreon. Um, I've changed the tiers. So there's a $5 tier. You're going to get access to pictures, to um, more content. I'm going to try and put a daily uh, crime fact in there for you guys. And obviously, I'm going to put pictures of the people that we're discussing in there, uh, facts about the case that aren't in the podcast. And then you're also going to get access with that to advanced episodes before they're released on that normal platforms. And then the next level is a $25 tier. That tier is going to not only give you those things from the $5 tier, but it's also going to give you um, a psychocrime t-shirt. And it's also going to give you the ability to request crimes. So if there's something I haven't addressed and that you'd like to see, please request it that way. But then also, um, if you want to see a stupid crime, because I have gone live a couple of times, I wanted to make it a regular thing. I didn't have the chance. You can request stupid crimes for when I go live. I call that live dumber than a sack of hair. Um, I have set up a little uh, studio so I can do actual video lives. Um, and so uh, that will be the second tier. Um, and I just want to uh, give you guys a better experience. And so being able to take some time allows me to do that for you guys. So I just really appreciate you guys. Like I say this every time, but I never expected to be doing this this long. I really only thought a handful of my family members would listen. And to be honest, guys, my parents do not even listen. <laughs> so and I really appreciate it. And I'm always shocked to know that there are people around the world that listen to me. Um, I still can't believe people in New Zealand listen to me, as many of you as you do. And yes, I caught up on the new season of Brokenwood. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, clocked the new um, detective that they have in there. Um, yes, so um, I like I said, I, I appreciate you guys. You're welcome to hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Geek Flossy. I appreciate the feedback. Um, and so just... I truly appreciate um, the support and knowing that I am able to, you know, whether you listen to me to fall asleep or you appreciate, you know, hearing about these crimes and finding out fascinating facts, whatever it is that brings you to the show, I truly appreciate it. And I hope that you appreciate listening to me. And so I'm just going to keep um, bringing you new crimes and new explanations and aspects of psychology and the criminal mind that you may not have heard before and that was not intended. <laughs> so let's get to this week's crime. This week we are going to be looking at the case of Georgia Plummer Weaver. 
uh, this is an instance of sorcide or the killing of a sister. Sorcide comes from the Latin for soror or sister and side, which is to kill or cut. Um, now, the reason that this particular crime is going to be sorcide and not familicide, familicide happens when there are multiple family murders in a quick succession or a, a killing spree. So while this family there were multiple people in the family that were harmed over a period of time. It wasn't quickly enough like that it was considered part of a spree. Um, what suicide is considered, um, there are a lot of different examples of it, but more oftentimes you see it in adolescence where it comes down to sibling rivalry that gets out of hand, usually as a result of physical aggression that leads to someone's death, like a fist fight, physical altercation. Um, someone may, you know, grab, you know, a pipe or something that's on hand. Normally this happens with physical aggression that gets out of hand if there's a firearm around. Um, people misjudge their own strengths. So normally cases of suicide happen in teens and it's usually, you know, sibling rivalry gone wrong. So it's very rare that you see this in adults. It's not unheard of, but you see it less than you see brothers killing themselves, you know? So that is what we are looking at this week. The other thing is that compared with child murder or parent murders, it's drastically, drastically lower numbers when you look at the statistics. Now, Georgia Plummer was the youngest of ch 12 children. Her mother was diagnosed bipolar when she was young and she did struggle to raise them. Georgia quickly bonded with her older sister, Jeannie, and the two were inseparable. In 1952, the dynamics of their family changed drastically when their father, George, died of cancer. And at 18, Jeannie married a railroad worker named Jimmy Allen. Desperately not wanting to be left alone in the house without the person she considered her best friend, a 14-year-old Georgia dropped out of eighth grade and married Bobby Lingo, a man that she thought could take care of her. At 15, she has her first son, Billy Bob. And yes, that is the most redneck of names ever, but we are dealing with Arkansas, so, okay. She realizes she is not ready to be a mother and abandons her family. So she leaves her newborn son with his father and runs off. She turns to her sister and moves in with her and Jimmy. This quickly becomes problematic as the two sisters go out drinking on an almost nightly basis. And when they weren't drinking, they were gambling at the dog park. What's problematic about two sisters letting off some steam, you might ask? Well, this was the late 50s for starters and Georgia was only 16. Jimmy was definitely not happy. He put his foot down and Georgia was first forced to move in with her other sister, Elsie. Elsie was the other pea in their pod. She was married to a Rayborn Tanner, a police officer, and he was prepared for Georgia's wild ways. He asked his wife to tone it down, and the next thing he knew, his perfectly healthy self starts to have a severe abdominal pain. He goes to get checked out and ends up in the hospital for two months. During this time, Elsie does not come to visit him once when he finally returns home 
he realizes that none of the bills have been paid, but much of his money is missing. So, as a police officer, he immediately begins to suspect that he may have been poisoned. When he returns, he is wheelchair-bound. There is credit card charges he could not have clearly made as he had been in the hospital, and they are now behind on their mortgage. He has no choice but to file for bankruptcy, something that at the time was thoroughly humiliating as it had to be printed in the paper and he was a police officer. How do you trust a police officer who can't even maintain his own finances? So he immediately filed for divorce as well. Now, the sisters seem to calm down at this point. They seem to settle into normal life, getting married. Georgia even marries a man by the name of Daryl Weaver. The sister's mother, Bertie, though, fast forwarding 19 years, takes ill. She needs to be put into a nursing home. She contacts her daughters and puts the decision-making into Jeannie and Georgia's hands. She asks the two women to put her money into an account to pay all of her bills. Almost immediately, tensions arise and a rift appears between the two women. Soon as the money is put into an account specifically put together to pay Bertie's bills. Now remember, she's in a nursing home. The whole point of this account is to give her daughters the ability to pay for the nursing home, pay any bills. Remember, she still has a house. So the entire point of this is to pay for the nursing home, pay you know the mortgage on the house, pay any bills that she has. That's the entire point of this account and giving power of attorney to her daughters so they can take care of her affairs. However, almost immediately after the account is opened, Georgia goes in and withdraws half of the money. When she's confronted by her sister, she tells her it's hers. Jeannie explodes. She explains that it is for her mother's care and nothing else. And the only way she can get the money back in order to afford her mother's care is to sue Georgia. This causes a massive rift between the once inseparable sisters. And Jeannie quits speaking to Georgia, fearing that she's never going to be able to trust her again. However, shortly after the court hands down its decision, their mother's home mysteriously burns down. With Jeannie and Georgia as beneficiaries as on the homeowner's insurance. Now, another fire in the family is called into question. Actually, several other fires in the family. Georgia and Daryl's house have burned down just a few years earlier. And directly before that, their mobile home. Coincidence? All three fires happened within a two-year period, and while they were all considered questionable, none of them were investigated by law enforcement, and all three fires, insurance companies paid out. Who profited from all three? That's right, Georgia. At this time, Georgia's husband starts to notice thousands of dollars missing from their bank accounts. He realizes several checks have been forged in his name. And after the court battle between Jeannie and Georgia, 
realizes it must be her. Soon after, he files for divorce. Jeannie, fearing Georgia will have no place to go, forgives her and takes her in. However, her husband Jimmy is not happy about this and he is definitely not alone. Jeannie's son Buddy does not like his aunt at all, still angry over the fact that Georgia took what little money his grandmother had left behind and immediately disappeared. He and his aunt fight constantly, with Georgia even trying to stop Buddy from seeing Jeannie by telling him she doesn't want to have anything to do with him, which when he does get a chance to see his mother from time to time, she always reassures him that is definitely not the case. Buddy starts reporting what he sees as abuse towards his father to the police. Finally, Jimmy calls the police himself, demanding Georgia leaves his house. Georgia leaves voluntarily and goes to stay with her brother John's girlfriend, Sheila. But only after two months, she is back at Jeannie and Jimmy's, and the police are called once again. As Jimmy's health starts to deteriorate, Jeannie gets a restraining order against Bunny and, somehow, gains power of attorney over Jimmy. Georgia stays at a motel that she runs the front desk of during this period, while Jeannie suddenly empties her safety deposit box, closes her account of $1,300 or $2,402 adjusted for inflation, and then buys a $3,200 ring on her JCPenney credit card. Now, JCPenney is not a high-end department store by any means, and it was not any higher-end back in the 80s or 90s, so to spend $3,200 on a ring at JCPenney's is insane, let alone that they have that high of a credit limit is ridiculous. Something that is really, really, really out of character for her. Then, within a month, Jeannie gets extremely ill. Georgia claims that it must be food poisoning. She calls Buddy and tells him she has to take Jeannie to the hospital. He immediately comes and takes Jimmy to his house because remember, Jimmy's still extremely sick. It suddenly becomes clear that Jimmy and Jeannie aren't the only ones with this mystery illness. Remember Georgia's short-lived roommate, Sheila? She has the same extreme nausea and abdominal pains and has even gone to the hospital as did Buddy's granddaughter. On January 17, 1993, after Jeannie had been in a medically induced coma for a week, her family decided to turn off her ventilator. At the time, doctors had no idea what had caused it, but one doctor had suspicions due to the fact that she had paralysis of her feet and partial paralysis of her legs and decided to order a test for heavy metals. They found 20 times the normal level of arsenic and police were immediately informed that she had been poisoned. The hospital quickly tested Sheila and Buddy's granddaughter as well. They tested positive and were treated. They immediately started to improve and were able to fully recover. Jimmy, however, tested negative for arsenic. As investigators comb through Jimmy and Jeannie's house, they find a pitcher of punch 
and a bottle of NyQuil, both filled with arsenic. This left them with two suspects, Buddy and Georgia. During the investigation, police discovered the restraining order that was filed against Buddy was not in fact filed by Jeannie, but Georgia posing as Jeannie. Then they discover the same day Jeannie supposedly bought an expensive ring at JCPenney's, it was also pawned, once again, supposedly by Jeannie. But after showing pictures of the two sisters to employees, they discover all of it was Georgia. She cleaned out her own sister's bank account and safety deposit boxes, and then bought the expensive ring with her credit card and pawned it for a fraction of the price. A power of attorney signed right before Jeannie got sick was discovered for was discovered in favor of Georgia. And handwriting experts said beyond a doubt it had been forged. Now, one thing you need to understand about handwriting experts, usually it's a finite science, meaning like they have to look at a lot of different things. Uh, it's up to interpretation. This was not that. Like you looked at it immediately, the signature was completely different than Jeannie's. It absolutely was not hers. It was forged. Like she didn't even try and hide it. Like I, I really don't understand why she didn't think that it would catch up to her. Like how, how she thought nobody would notice. And like, I really also don't understand why her family was not more concerned about her after three houses burnt down within two years. Like for me, like once three houses burnt down within two years, I'd have been like, okay, guys, hide your, you know, hide your homes, hide your husbands, hide your kids, you know, and Georgia's coming for it all. Like we can't trust her, you know, make sure you, you, you keep her out of your whole state. You can't let her come anywhere near nothing you have because she's coming for it all. Like I really get the whole she but she's family because i've seen that happen where a family member does awful things to you over and over again and when you talk to the person who's victimized their response is i can't cut them out because they're family and like every time you have a conversation with them their response is but they're family but they're family there just comes a moment where you have to draw a line and you have to say I'm not going to let them hurt me anymore. And you just have to shut them down. And it just really looks like this, at least for Jeannie, she could not get to that point. And it ended up being literally lethal for her to not be able to cut her sister off. Now, finally, Georgia's employers, the motel owners, said that after going through her work area, they found a bottle of rat poisoning in her belongings, which was incredibly unusual because they don't use rat poisoning at their motel. So they turned it over to the police and police determined that it was the kind of arsenic that was used in the poisonings. When questioned, Georgia told the didn't deny anything. She just told the police, Jeannie told her to do it. Well, obviously the police were not buying it and she was arrested. It did not take a jury long to deliberate and find her guilty on all counts of murder. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Now, the district attorney, when describing Georgia, he described her as evil. 
just straight up evil um he said that she looks like a sweet little nice old lady she looks like she's gonna she's gonna pat your baby on the head and give it a lollipop but she's not she's evil and she's more likely to poison your baby than to actually be giving it a lollipop out of kindness of her heart so like that was the mindset of the people here it seemed like everybody but this family recognizes this woman was cold-hearted cruel and evil and so that was the case of georgia and her sister this awful twisted sister relationship of georgia weaver and her sister Jeannie. now i hope you join me next time when we are going to look at the case of the serial killer that never was that's going to be the first of a two-part series and in that series we're going to look first at a situation where in both incidents a man pleads guilty to multiple homicides, which causes the media and the police to label him as a serial killer, and then later recants and under investigation, it's determined he was coerced and there is police manipulation. What makes it a two-part series is we're gonna see how this almost identical scenario was handled in two different countries. Now, if you head over to the patron account um, and that both parts will already be up and running so if you join us next time or you want to head over to the patreon either way i hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things